Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I am so happy and grateful to have Sarah with us here today, who once met a man on a blurry night in Manhattan, and little did she know he would be the soil in which her, her passion for grief work was to be planted. He had been rejected by his family for his life choices and was, and was preparing for death without them. Helping him through his struggle to come to terms with his love for them and in turn his forgiveness while going through treatments, rejection, and coming to terms with his own death and grief was an unimaginable amount of stress and it literally set Sarah in activism mode. It was shortly after his death that she completed training in palliative care home hospice. She volunteered in men's homes for five years before the medications became reliable and being gay wasn't always breaking family ties. Some of the most amazing times she has had in her life have been in the homes of dying. Strange, yes, but so beautifully honest and raw. She then completed the children's palliative care training and dove into the the heartbrokenness of dying children. It is in these years she really came to understand just how fickle death can be and how important it is to embrace death and learn to live with our grief. It seems that in times of what we would consider the most unimaginable, we are able to find glimmers of beauty, cracks of light, and the nourishment in tears. Over the last 20 years, Sarah has carried on with her education in a variety of ways, including coach and leadership training, orphan wisdom school, and grief groups. Her connection to corporate grief has been slow as is expected. She's grateful for individual clients who inspire her every day with their courage and vulnerability and their willingness. Sarah, welcome and thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Jesse. It's a pleasure and an honor. Yeah, I appreciate how you have your bio there. I think it's so beautiful. Sometimes we have our bios relegated to just kind of career highlights versus the narrative of really brought us on the journey that has brought us here today. Yeah. And I share, you know, something you said in there, I share such a, such a sentiment with, with the notion of it's during the times of people's, their end of the life or their, after they've passed, that we often find some of the most beautiful things or some of the greatest wisdom. I'm wondering if you would be open to sharing what's one of the most beautiful things you've learned or the greatest pieces of wisdom you've you've taken in from being in the presence of those who have passed. I, 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 thank you. Um, it's an oddly, it, it probably comes from being around um, dying children um, and their, uh, and the, um, the depth in which their parents go to, to make sense of that. Um, I was taking care of a little girl, uh, non-responsive, uh, and the only time uh, she would smile or show any emotion on her face was while she was sleeping. And so as a, as a, as a caregiver, um, and so I can imagine, uh, or I know <laughs> from speaking with her mother, what this was like is you would almost wait for those precious moments when she would fall asleep and you could sit and watch her sleep because you actually saw life inside of this little beautiful face. Um, 
and uh, I think there was one moment where um, I, I walked in and, and to the kitchen to drop off a bottle and her mom was standing there and she was crying. And I said to her, I'm like, oh gosh, are you okay? Like, do you want me to stay a little bit extra time to like help you through? And she's like, I just, I just, she goes, I looked at you and I just thought how lucky we are, how absolutely lucky we are to be able to witness the one little sliver of moment in this beautiful baby's life where she actually feels happy and at peace. And she's showing us that. Um, she goes, we are the luckiest people on the planet to be able to see that. No one gets to see that. Um, and I think that's probably the most uh, <laughs> honorable and grateful moment I had inside of palliative care. Um, was to be able to see a mother make sense of those moments and find beauty inside of of that moment. Um, yeah. Ooh, I felt that one when you said it. And I think that is just, I was, as you were talking, I thought, wow, what an incredible woman for that mother to be. Because I feel like, <clears throat> I feel like when the narratives around grief and dying and especially when it comes to children is a narrative that is so in my opinion it is so detrimental to healing and that is the narrative of it's not the natural order of things that a parent should not outlive their child yeah that and that if that child if the parent outlives their child it's almost like then it's the worst thing that could happen and the child or the parent rather, or the parents are forever forsaken to live a life consumed by grief and hopelessness and misery. And so to hear the story of that mom, God calling herself and the two of you, the luckiest people in the world. I mean, it's just, it's so, it makes me emotional because it's, it's, not only do I think that it's just so unbelievably incredible that she could do that, that you could be present with her and, and appreciate what she was doing and witness it, mm. but that she could, in what I would imagine be one of her darkest moments, some of her darkest moments, darkest hours, she's not thinking of herself, but she's thinking of this little soul and finding almost joy and her being happy and at peace. Yeah, it's really about that, that in some ways she had almost let go of this idea of hope um, and focused on being inside of the moment she's in. And, um, you know, it was, it was pretty amazing because you would, you would sit and wait for her to fall asleep. You know, I'd feed her like five minutes early in hopes that I would get that nap in and I could sit and watch it. And I just, you just loved being around it. Um, and to be able to give up on the hope of another day or a hope of uh, a cure um, and actually just be in that moment present in the time that you have. Um, was pretty amazing even in that situation never mind in 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 all the different types of death we face um in something that to your point that we think is is the ultimate worst thing that anyone could go through so yeah it's pretty amazing 
you think, Sarah, how do you think hope impacts mm. the grieving process and being able to heal from a loss? I, I have a really uh, hard relationship with hope. Um, and it's, and it's one that I continue to be curious about. And I, and I, and I constantly challenge myself on the idea of, of hope and my thoughts around hope. Um, I mean, so as an example, like life is really, you know, we, life is really about moving forward, about caring forward. Um, life doesn't make really room for death. Like it does birth as an example, right? We, we make lots of room for birth, but we don't really like to make room for death. Um, so how in a culture of moving forward and the past is in the past and we just have to be strong and look ahead. How do we, it's no wonder we focus on hope as, as the key thing to get us through to the next peace, right? And it's not just in death. It's every day. We hope we win the lottery. We hope we retire at 65. We hope that our children are successful. Um, but we also hope that my brother dying of cancer will go into remission and everything will be okay, despite the fact that every indication isn't. Uh, we have hope for that. So while I feel like it might be a bit of a harsh statement, I, I feel like hope in a lot of ways is like a mortgage right? Where, where we're actually um, mortgaging the moment we have right, in, right now uh, for the sake of more time, for the sake of different time. Um, and we're almost foregoing this beautiful chance we have to, to soothe ourselves or to, to find bravery um, to fight another day when we're not getting a new day we're giving up the one we have uh, while we're working through our hope so i feel like hope is uh, is much more of a, a coping mechanism um and that in a lot of ways it, it doesn't necessarily do us a whole bunch of good that we're, we're giving something up there's a consequence to hope hope is not a singular thing i think is where i i i feel around that's exactly what i feel around hope i guess it's a tough one you know i never i, I shared with you when we first met about <clears throat> i think one of my my passion projects has long been to try to ease emotional suffering and i've had conversations with numerous people around death dying just loss in general, so not even necessarily death and dying, but loss of identity, loss of from a relationship, whatever that mm -hmm. encompasses. And I've never heard hope presented in such a way as the notion of a mortgage on the moment, but it's, God, that, that one, I felt that. The idea that, because we do, and it's, and it's fascinating when you actually pause to think about that, it in many ways reflects how we spend large spans, like large chunks of our life, is we spend large chunks of our life putting mortgages on our moments that if I can make it through this moment, maybe tomorrow will be better. You know, if I can make it through this, then maybe this will improve. If I can just suck it up today, or if I can just stiff up or lift tomorrow, better, better times ahead. And we miss out on so much of our present, which is interesting because I feel like one of the dynamics people, when they go through loss, they get so stuck in, right? Is there, it's that one foot in the past, 
one foot resisting stepping into the future. And rather than having the, you know, we're kind of leaning in, it's almost like we have ourselves shackled to the past and having to try to have something pull us back. When in so doing, we're taking out more and more mortgages in a way because we're not allowing ourselves to have any moments in front of us. We're not allowing ourselves to have, and it's almost like if we do, we will soil it with guilt because in that kind of psychology, we're not supposed to feel that way anymore. Right? Like, I mean, so, so maybe we could just think about for a second, like what happens if hope doesn't work out? Right? Because we don't think about that in the moment. That's what we're, we're not thinking about. That's what we're hoping for. So we don't have to think about, right? Um, you know, when you're, you know, what does, that, what does it mean when your palliative mother dies or your test backs, your tests come back positive or, you know, we have to social distance for three more months, right? Whatever that actually looks like, um, we're, we're really kind of caught off guard, right? We're caught off, we're going, well, that, that, it was like the reality of what was happening wasn't actually happening and, and, and hope was. Um, so how does, how does, that what are we left with if we don't have hope um and part of me feels like we're left with fear um mm. we're left with fear or we're left with more thoughts and prayers right <laughs> um i feel like we were probably left with with fear but also an an, an unexpected grief um having sat beside some palliative beds um, it's really interesting to see how family and loved ones um, interact around death. And there's a lot of scheduling, a lot of operational tasks being, you know, handled. Life is, life is big without death, right? You know, mothers, uh, uh, or uh, when their mother is dying and the daughter is sitting there and they've got daughters and they're organizing life and they're trying to get things, your life can become very operational and you're sitting back and only thinking two or three days ahead. And then when you look up, the person you're supposed to be caring for and thinking about is dead. Mm. And so that grief actually hasn't started yet. And so you'll hear so many people and without, with good hearts, but it lands really tough as well, at least you had time. Um, and, and, and the answer is actually, no, I didn't. I didn't think about it at all. I did nothing. I did, I did the operational work and I, and I hoped that's what, that's what you did. Right. So there's a big part of me that wants to think about what obligations we have as humans. Do we have to the past? Do we have to our life with somebody? Um, what are we, what obligations do we have in that present moment, um, with people that are willing to die in front of us? Um, and, and what obligations do we have to our children, um, to teach them about grief and how we work in grief and how we live in grief and how we tend to grief? Um, hope to me feels like it kind of blankets over those obligations a little bit. Um, and then the only answer I can really think that has really come to me strongly, and I'm sure there's others out there that I would love to know more or hear, uh, is this thought that 
we can just start loving people like they're not going to be around forever. Hmm. That this, that it's going to end. And what would that mean, right? In my every single moment of every day, what would that mean when you have that opportunity to love something like it's not going to be there forever? Um, and then, and, 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 and I mean, I'm going to, I'm on a diatribe. Sorry, one more. <laughs> Keep, I, I love diatribes. Keep going. One more thought about it is, yes, hope is useful, obviously, because it helps us cope and it makes us brave. But what if we were grateful first and hopeful second? How, what would that change if we were grateful first and hopeful second? Because I think what I see a lot of is people who are hopeful first, grieve, and then find ways to be grateful. Hmm. I, I think a lot would happen. Um, I don't think that we would hope for the same things. I think we, would ho- we wouldn't be hoping for more time. Um, we wouldn't hope for the next appointment to be the one that, that tells us everything is going to be okay. Uh, I can't remember the author's name. It will come to me. Um, Terry Tempest Williams, TTW, um, wrote Grief Dares Us to Love Again. Have you heard of that one? I haven't. So grief dares us to love again. So for some reason, there's something inside of that um, that begins in gratitude for love before it, it breeds hope. Um, yeah, just this idea of this gratitude first and hope second to me, even if we just kind of switch those two around, what that actually looks like in inside of hope, because it's impossible not to hope. (laughs) Sarah, what do you think separates, you know, in the families, the people that you have sat with, you have such an intimate perspective on things that many of us do not have. And is there something that you've observed that separates the friends, the family members who are able to be grateful first, hopeful second, from the ones who are the opposite, hopeful first, grateful second? Is it an overlying emotion? Is it a relationship dynamic? Is there a common thread through there? I, I, I don't, I'm going to say I don't know, but I have some ideas. Um, people who have grieved before know the loss of not doing that at the end of life. People who have sat and lost significantly understand the importance of that moment. Hmm. Um, They understand that it's not about the agenda. They take a moment before they walk into the room um, just to kind of ground themselves. Um, they, they, they look at what's happening and realize that this is going to happen to everybody. Um, I mean, birth is, is something, it's interesting because I like comparing the two, death um, and birth. Birth is something we celebrate. It's something we get excited about. What new life is coming to come into town. We're all excited that we get to have a new little baby to smell and cuddle. Um, and then when we, at the time of death, we're like, oh, that's so sad. Mm. And we kind of 
the back. We do a bit of a moonwalk out of the room, generally speaking, when it comes to death. Those people that lean in a little bit more, that stick around a little bit, that don't have to fill the space with words, um, that are willing to just sit there and bear witness to one of the hardest things we've ever thought through or not thought through, um, those people tend to, to be a little bit more present in the moment. Um, those that grieve, those that understand grief. I, I think everybody on the planet has grief, um, but a lot of people don't want to talk about it. A lot of people want to talk about being strong, about being brave. They want to send thoughts and prayers. Um, they're not ready to deal with grief, the grief of their life, not just in that moment, the grief in their life. Um, so a warm heart goes out to people that have a really hard time with this. Um, it is a hard thing. And it's hard, as you know, for anyone with, with in all the different types of grief that we face. Um, it's hard for anyone who has a hard time facing some of these fears to, to live inside of that very moment. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's so incredibly fascinating. I think observing others through this and and observing myself through various processes of losing loved ones. Mm. And to see which, you know, and I find myself sometimes at that most basic level in an analytical mind of, of quantifying which is more painful, right? Why is this one hurt more than the other one does? And why is this like, why do I cry longer over this one? And there's such almost wasted questions because it's getting out of love and just embracing that there's love there and getting into like this thought about trying to explain the depth of love or the depth of connection, the depth of closeness. And it also robs me of that. I think that, you know, death cannot kill off love, right? Death may be able to take away the physical body, but it certainly cannot kill off love when we're separated by physical geographical distance. If you're to ask you and say, hey, do you love this person? You say, absolutely. Do you love this soul? Absolutely. It doesn't change at all. We, the love still exists. And well, often I feel like we complicate that love after loss because we are, we get so disconnected from that and we get so caught up in this dynamic of grief or hope or trying to or guilt or all those other emotions that get jumbled in there. It's like almost like the love gets squeezed out of it. You mentioned something about the hope, the, the hope and prayers mm. and the grief dynamic. Why is it that in your opinion, why is it that we will, we will seek out hope and prayers versus sitting with our own grief or really getting in the work and processing. Is it a matter of us not even knowing where we have it? Or is it, is it, you know, what is that with that? Yeah. I think it's, we live in, I think it's, we live in such a death phobic culture. Um, having talked at different community events about um, death and about options at death, there's a lot of, and I mean, let me tell you, I'm a hit at parties. <laughs> but, 
<laughs> suddenly everybody has to go to the bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I know. I, I totally get that. <laughs> so when you get into those those conversations, there's a lot of people that back out of the room. Um, they don't even want to talk about it. Um, and that has to come from something. And I, and I believe it comes from grief um, and trauma, grief and trauma, right? So when you're in a situation um, that, and grief has hit you, especially in, in childhood, you end up like a death of a parent, as an example, um, you end up in a situation where you've actually haven't been mature enough to deal with death. We don't have a, a mature enough culture to help you work through death because your other parent is grieving as well um, or your siblings are grieving as well. So you're kind of doing your own thing inside of this grief and you grow up um, on that foundation you've built that actually is a little crumbly. So when you get into a situation again where another parent dies or someone you love dies, you end up in a situation where you're, you kind of revert back and you're like, no, no, that was traumatic and I have to walk away. Um, and, and it's also time, right? You know, we, if I was to turn around and talk to a friend whose mother died a month ago, the conversation would be much different in that conversation than someone whose mother had died 10 years ago. So, you know, the grief is still there. It's part of us. It's a, a skill that we've learned to, to tend. Um, it's part of who we are. If, if, if we're capable of getting there, if not, we spend all of our time trying not to. Um, so it's, it's really a, a difficult way of navigating through um, the whole dichotomy of death and dying um, in a real way uh, and trying to get outside of just us and maybe get back to that idea of obligation of past in the present and the future and, and our children. You know, understanding that obligation a little bit more and not being all about our feelings. Find that one tough. What's that? Find that tough to do, right? To actually sit in a moment where we're doing something really, really hard, finding gratitude inside of that moment that's really, really hard and and trying to to figure out what am i actually teaching the people around me inside of that hard moment mm. it's you mentioned a little bit ago and i i don't want to misquote you but it's effectively it was like the antidote for so much of this could be if we were just love right now as if we weren't going to have the tomorrow, right? And it's funny because it's almost cliche because we've all heard that to some degree. I mean, I'll sit there and call it off the mountaintops every day. And then every day I found myself judging and being pissed and feeling guilty and feeling regret and questioning myself and going to this whole thing, judging other people. Probably said judging once. I guess I must be on a judging trip lately. And even though I know, like, at my in my... <clears throat> At my core, I know this is my home. That's where I'm trying to get to and anchor myself more firmly in that home. Yeah. But it is so damn hard sometimes, isn't it? No, and it has to be. 
Yeah, it is so unbelievably hard. And it seems like it shouldn't be because it's, it's, it, it, it's like at the beginning, at the end, at any time, it's the, it's the very essence at the core of everything we do. It's like the thing that's there all the time. It doesn't cost money. It doesn't anything, but it's so and it's, and it's in abundance, you know, it really is. And we're, we're these little self-generating self-manufacturing little love devices. At least we can be. Yes. <laughs> but yet even in those most vulnerable, those most life, even life ending moments, we might resist going there because is it because that there's that fear going back to that fear piece that fear on the other side of it that fear is maybe go it's tied into grief and maybe it's something like god if i if i feel that deeply can i even come back from it you know if i feel that deeply does that mean that you know as a guy will play the male stereotype of suck it up stiff upper lip you can't do that you're not supposed to you know don't be a you know, some of the words that we use to describe that. So then does it, if I feel that deeply, does it mean that I will, this, I was listening to an interview earlier with a guy who's in the business space. So I really love a lot of his content. He mentioned in this interview that he's only cried three times in his life. And I remember I, and as I was listening to this thought went through my head, I was like, God, that's so sad because I feel like I cry almost every day, not because I'm sad, but because stuff moves me so deeply. And I think that our tears are such a beautiful modality of expression. So, I mean, I don't know if you can even answer this question, but do you see that correlation with it? Is like if we, maybe love is too risky, even at the end, it's too risky because if we love, then it means we have to feel like the, the yin to the yang of love might be grief or sadness or despair. And if we're willing to just, acknowledge how fully that we love or our desire to love and be loved we risk tearing that band-aid off and having to deal with that other piece of it yeah i just i think it's one of those things where we're sitting down and i mean i'm i guess i'm not asking people to be grateful for uh, their loved one dying or being sick and, and that you have the, this wonderful opportunity to be bedside. No one wants to be in those situations um, and to find gratefulness inside of those moments um, is not about being grateful that she's dying, but maybe it's about being grateful that you have her to love, grateful for her vulnerability in that moment to allow you to sit there and, and bear witness to that. Um, for your ability to be there, um, to remember uh, a moment, like a lullaby she used to sing to you, right? Sing to you. Um, to hear yourself just automatically humming it, right? As a soothing kind of piece. You're what you've, you've witnessed some of the strongest moments in her life. You're also now bearing witness and holding her in her scariest. And what an honor that is to be able to do that for somebody. Um, so when we talk about being grateful in, at a time like this, all of the ways that you love somebody need to come to that surface, all of those bits. And, and to answer your question, I think it's in those memories and in those bits that 
you find all of the reasons to do it again. Mm. Um, when my best friend died about six years ago and uh, that woman, that woman <laughs> she like every single time I get a really great parking spot in the middle of the rain, I'm like, babe, thanks, man. Right? Like it's one of those yeah. moments where, and then, or someone will, I'll, I'll catch someone laughing and I'll go and I'll look like you still one of those jolts because it sounded just like her. Um, or you sit there in a tough moment and you go, oh, what would you do? Losing her did not make me not have another best friend. Um, different, right? Very different. And I'm still very grateful for all those amazing things. Um, but you love again, right? You, mm -hmm. you always love again. Um, I'm trying to think of the uh, poet. Uh, and it'll come to me, but she had said, um, if I had known you were leaving, I'd have played us in reverse. And this idea that you're, uh, if you have an idea, if you know that someone is going to die, what would you want to make sure of inside of that journey back to today to make sure that that person was honored in the way that they need to be honored inside of your life. And it's that that keeps you going into the next moment. It's that that makes you kiss them goodbye every morning. Um, and it's those little tiny things that you remember and it doesn't have to be all the time, right? But it does change the way you look at somebody and how you interact with them and you're grateful for them every day. Little things, right? It doesn't take too much. Um, yeah, you, like, and then we've all heard it all. Oh, you build a longer table, right? Um, it, but it doesn't have to happen for everybody. It can happen like in micro moments throughout your life. You mentioned thanking your friend for the parking spot. Sarah, I'm curious, do you, do you talk to your loved ones still, the ones that pass? I talk to mine all the time. All the time? Mm. I have to. They're there for me, right? You yeah. know, I feel them in a very big way. Um, and it keeps me connected. Um, everyone has a moment like this. Uh, mine's 1111. Uh, every time I see 1111, I give a little nod up north and uh, thank her for being around. Um, or her, hear a song that we used to like jam to, right? Like on when we used to go downtown or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's always something, little things that remind you of these people and it just I feel so extremely grateful for being able to think of those things um, throughout my day and be happy that I had them. So grateful I had her. You know, if I can I can't change when people are gonna die. They're gonna they're either they've either had their more time, right? Or or they're they're it's gonna happen in my lifetime or not. But to be able to just kind of squeeze them a little bit tighter every day makes that all the sweeter every single time of course i have regrets too right oh i wish i called her back more um i wish i had done more of the planning she had always done the planning um i wish i you know that time where i said i just didn't feel like getting together i wish i had right i wish i had done it i wish i had gone and done it anyways mm -hmm. there's always going to be moments like that um but i know she'd forgive me for them so yeah Sarah, I just noticed the clock and we're running a little bit close on time, which I'm, 
I regret because I want to ask so much more. So I'll just ask one final question. I'm curious with having the experience that you've had with going through this process with so many, and then also going through your personal life, looking at this dynamic as hope being a mortgage and maybe mm -hmm. it's there to keep us from touching on fear and, and the dynamics of grief and love. When you look at death and dying, life and living, do you, do you have, or do you still have, I'm not sure which is the proper way to phrase it, any fear around that? Or is that fear, has that fear evolved in any way? I, because I feel like there's times where I feel like I know growing up, I was so fearful about the notion of it. And then having been around it quite a bit, it doesn't seem as scary. But that's only when I'm having conversations maybe like this. If I actually have to sit with the notion of my own mortality, I don't want to die. And I definitely want to keep going. I have so much I feel like I want to do. I, I, I hold on to, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you, I didn't think about the idea that being alive right now, you know, we're going to see so many medical evolutions that will probably be able to push the life expectancy up to 130, 140 maybe easily. And so I keep thinking, oh, there's all this extra time. There's all this extra time. But I also know that that's wishful thinking that, you know, whether it's God, universe, source, whatever that is, if I have a, if I have an expiration, I don't really have maybe necessarily as much choice in that if there's a, a calling home, so to speak, time. And that definitely gets a little bit of like, so for someone like yourself who's been there and been through so much and has such an intimate understanding and experience with it, I've seen these beautiful moments like you shared with that mother with her daughter. Do you still have any fear about that? And, and if so, what is it and how do you sit with it, move through it? I'm not sure what the, what the proper labeling of that is, but I think you get what I'm asking. Yeah, I, I think everyone should have a fear of unknown, right? Hmm. Whatever happens after this life is over, what there is going to be some fear there. Um, so yes, the answer is yes, I'm afraid. Um, the, this, the other part I think that I'm most afraid about is, 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 is my kids, right? Um, how do you, how can I set them up so that they can build the best life for their children? Um, and I think that's addressable every single day as I go through life. And I think at some point you're going to be able to raise your hands and go, you know what? I did what I did and I did a pretty good job or I didn't or and there's some mistakes. There's some regrets, um, on life and, and my legacy will be what? Um, I know my kids are going to say my mom kept talking to me about death all the time. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, she made sure we had our advanced care plans all figured out, right? There's going to be that piece, right? But I'm pretty sure they'd go on her crazy dancing or whatever ends up coming out. But when I'm lying there, um, and whether it happens quick or it's a long process, I hope that I'm also teaching them something while I die. Hmm. Um, that, them that, that being vulnerable in those moments um, 
and um, being open to the idea of doing hard things uh, together is, um, is important. And so that is a fear that I have, is that I, 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 I'm not going to get that chance to teach them a little bit more about the importance of, of, of death at the end. Yeah. Sarah, can I squeeze one more answer out of you real quick? I love it. <laughs> what do you want your legacy to be? Ah, mm, it's a tough one. Um, I, uh, connection is always mm. the most important thing for me. Um, my, being uh, open to the idea that I can connect with someone of a different political stance or a different religion or a different uh, viewpoint um, and still find common ground inside of that, um, that, that is what I would love my legacy to be. Also, that I didn't take life too seriously. Um, that would be nice, right? To, to give someone a sense of, of happiness um, that when they looked at me, they gave, or they thought of me, they giggled a little. Uh, when they thought of me, they kind of went, oh my God, remember when? Um, that it actually was filled with something that was happy um, uh, rather than, oh, she was a bit of a hard ass. Hmm. Um, I, li I like the idea of being a happy-go-lucky person with a, with a, with a side of crazy. Uh, that <laughs> kind of fits, <laughs> fits me most, I think. And, and I don't think you could do this work without having a really good sense of humor about yourself um, and uh, be able to, to face difficult conversations with, a, with, a, with um, a bit of an open, caring, and warm and funny heart. I think uh, that would be where I'd like to live. Love that. Everyone, my goodness, are you gonna re-watch, re-listen? One of the things I always so fascinating when I have conversations about death and dying is it usually seems the conversations inevitably are more about life and living. Whether it is the beautiful lesson that we can learn from a, a young child and her, her mother to not so much hold on hope that something's going to change and put a mortgage on your moments. God, I love that phrase. I'm going to totally steal that and use that later on. I'll give you, I'll send you where I got it from. Please. Yeah, I love that. But to rather really just be present and it's in the presence that we might find beauty and love and joy to experience that we never knew, even in the, even in the face of the inevitable passing of a life. It's in that way that we may find healing. We may find our way back to love. And that so often, so many of those moments are lost because we want to stay in the space of hope. You know, it's a beautiful notion, but is it the most effective? Does it really serve us to the highest degree when it comes to something like this? How many times do we spend hoping? And then in so doing, we spend the time hoping for a better future when we miss out on the right now. And sometimes right now is really just all we have with our with our loved ones, with the people that matter most. And what Sarah said, like again, as cliche as it sounds, it is so true. It's really, it seems the only antidote to all this is just learning how to love them more in the moments as if this is their last one. As if that is all that really matters, because really it does. You know, if you think about it, so many of us, if you start to really chunk down your life, 
why you do what you do, why you work the hours you work, why you make the sacrifices you make, why you get up early on weekends, you stay late, whatever that is, you'll likely see at the end of that, there's a core belief that you have that if you do all these things, it's going to lead to something and that something it'll lead to is there's some sort of payoff of love. Mm-hmm. It'll mean that one day, 20 years from now, you'll be able to sleep in a little bit longer with your sweetie or you'll be able to enjoy your grandkids play or whatever that is for you. But you'll see that love is usually the origin spot for it. And one of the beautiful things about love is it can be present right now and maybe just maybe to make the most of those moments while you have to not mortgage them for the future, but to make them matter. Now you can walk away from this and learn, lean into love a little bit more. Sarah, this has been such a absolute blessing. Thank you so very much for sharing with us and for your observations, your insights, your questions and your beautiful way that you have presented and touched on some what are very can be very uncomfortable and difficult subjects and bringing to life the idea that you know we don't celebrate death like we celebrate birth the newness but i think if i could and if i may i would love to celebrate today all those who have contributed to your learning and understanding and your growth, because I think you truly gave us a gift today. And I just thank you for that. And I celebrate those who have been a part of your journey today. Well, thank you so much. Uh, that means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. I love this. This was fun. Um, and I couldn't do this with a better person. Thank you. Absolutely. We will see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to